Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. There's something about today. I don't know what it is, man, but something about today is really special. Um, do you get that sense today? Anybody in the room? There's something about today that's really special. Hey, at the end of our service, I'll hang out with us. We're going to have some baptisms, and I don't think we want to miss this. We're going to throw a party. Like, it's going to be a party. We're going to celebrate some fun stuff going on. Um, at some point today, Miss Kelly might walk up here. And so, Miss Kelly, at any point, if you want to say, like, it fits right here, you just come, girl, right? So we're going to welcome Miss Kelly at any point you perceive. This girl has, like, been interceding, like, apparent, like, time. And I believe the Lord has given her a very unique word. Everything ties together in a, such a strange way today. Even TC's song, like, he's singing about beauty to ashes. And this week, I'm literally off the script right now because... I'm in my time with the Lord, and he should show me brand new passage I've never really seen before. And we're singing this song, Beauty to Ashes. Do y'all, anybody know where that comes from in the Bible? Come on, who, who's the scholar in the room, you know? Anybody? Where does it come from? Six, yeah, 61. Yeah, come on. Hey, yeah, yeah. We just got to honor. We got to honor. Got the one right. It was close. Listen to this. Listen, listen, listen. And I think it ties in as we begin and we go back into Acts 13. 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. Then I continued. This is the promise for the Lord. This is what's gonna happen to the people because of what the Lord does. Then you go down to 63, and I've never really put 63 together. Like I said, this is off the script, but I wanna read it to you because I thought that's some kind of image. Now I want you to picture this. Isaiah 63 says, Who is this who comes from Edom, from the city of Basra, with his clothing stained red? Who is this in royal robes, marching in his great strength? It is I, the Lord, announcing your salvation. It is I, the Lord, who has the power to save. Why are your clothes so red as if you've been treading out grapes? I've been treading the wine press alone, he said. No one was there to help me. 
In my anger, I have trampled my enemies as if they were grapes. In my fury, I have trampled my foes. Their blood has stained my clothes for the time has come for me to avenge my people, to ransom them from their oppressors. I was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So I, listen, I myself stepped in to save them with my strong arm, with my wrath sustaining me. I crushed the nations in my anger and made them stagger and fall to the ground, spilling their blood upon the earth. People are like, well, that's pretty. <laughs> now, when you skip to Acts 13, I think this matters because in Acts 13, it's Paul's first missionary journey. And he's traveling from Antioch and he's sent by some prophetic people in the church who are fasting and praying, asking God what we should do. And the Holy Spirit tells them through, I believe, the prophetic voices in the room, this is what you got to do. Send Paul and Barnabas, anoint them for this work and send them on. So they're like, okay. And I want us to remember, and I want to encourage us that prayer and fasting is not to get closer to God. I believe a good picture of it's like this. I'm in a plane the other day. And I so desperately wanted to listen to my audio book that I really appreciate. So I had my headphones on and my wife wanted to talk to me and she was talking. I couldn't hear her voice because I was really enthralled with my audio book. And I was like, leave me alone. Like, I, I know you want to talk to me, but like, this is really big. And I couldn't really hear, but she was talking. And when I took the headphones off, then I could really hear, but she was already talking. What prayer and fasting does, it like removes the headphones because God's already talking. It opens us up to actually hear his voice that he's already speaking. I encourage you guys with prayer and fasting, you don't strive to get closer to God. He's brought you close enough. Many times the things of this world, we put our headphones on because man, I'm enthralled with what I got going on. So when I fast, I'm taking off the thing that I've really enthralled with here on this earth to hear the voice of God who's already talking because he's so close. Prayer and fasting is so important. But many of us, I believe, don't like continue in it because we don't really expect it. We don't know what to expect and we're like striving to get closer and we've missed the whole point of the whole thing. He's really close and he's talking, but we've got to tune our ears and sometimes take off the headphones that are so important to us in this moment here. So they send them off to this place and when they get there, I want to pick up with you at Acts 13, verse 13. And, and then I want to, I'll bring this all back full circle and I think everything will make sense about halfway through, okay? You with me? Like, Jay, you've been all over the place today. It's okay. We're gonna get somewhere, I promise. All right, Acts 13, verse 13. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, uh, landing at the port city of Perga. There, John Mark left them. So they got, they got abandoned by one of their close friends who had committed on the trip and left them, returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On, on the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the service. This is the picture. I think I got a picture of it just so we can see it. They started in Antioch right here. They go to Salamis, Paphos, and then now they're going into Perga up in here. And this is like modern day Turkey, Okay. After they, listen, listen. So they get to the synagogue. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Hey, brothers, 
If you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, he lifted his hands to quiet all the people and he started speaking. And I just want, would you, would you follow me along with what this man says in a church service filled with Jews? And if you would have understood, it says after the normal readings, here's what's gonna happen in a Jewish synagogue. The priest would have stood up, whoever's in charge of that area. And when you go to this areas of the world, man, the towns were a lot smaller. And the synagogue was like the center of those little towns. So like people come and it's kind of a normal thing. A lot like this, we're really close. Everybody's kind of in each other's world. We know each other pretty good. It was a lot like that. So they would read from the books of Moses and the prophets. They would read the, the prophet Isaiah in the same way. And those of us who know Jesus, as I'm reading that in Isaiah, you're, you're like, wow, this is like the picture of Jesus. You, you can put it all together because you've, you've got Jesus at the forefront of your mind. How Jesus became sin, who knew no sin, that we would become the righteousness of God, right? So when he's stained with blood, he's like, I've crushed my enemies. Guess who was my enemy? I made myself the enemy when every one of us should have been the enemy. In my fury, I held myself there on the cross and I took all the punishment of pain because I loved the world in this way and desired to save them. I've trampled the enemies and no one was there to help me. I was astonished that everyone left. So I carried it out myself. Do you hear and how it comes alive when Jesus is the center of what this book really points to? So he continues to, Paul stands up, silences the crowd, lifted his hands to quiet them in verse 16. And he started speaking. He said, men of Israel, he said, and you, God-fearing Gentiles, listen, the God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and he made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel's inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do, and it is the one king or it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised savior of Israel. So he's taking what they understand out of, the, out of the psalmist and he's pointing it back and showing them what's the real deal about the psalm. It really points to Jesus. He continues on, he says, before he came, before Jesus came, verse 24, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not, but he is coming soon. And I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals of his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. 
They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyways. Verse 29, when they had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. I'm here to bring you some good news now. Y'all been reading this book and ain't nobody knows what it's really about. But I'm here to enlighten all because I've been enlightened by the one who came as the true light of heaven and earth to bring illumination for all of us to understand what this really meant. That's what he's about to say. And now we're here to bring good news. The promise was made to our ancestors and God has now fulfilled it for us. That means it is now done, finished for us. I like that word, for us. You say for me, just say it to yourself if you want, just for me. Sometimes it feels like it should be a lot more for Paul than for me, but he says for us, right? All right. Their descendants by raising Jesus. This is what the second Psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I've become your father. Or another translation, I have received you as my son. When they have read this outside of Jesus, they would have thought David's writing this about himself. He's like this chosen one of God who has God's own heart. And it has nothing to do with me, but I guess we'll admire David from afar, you know? For God had promised to raise him from the dead. They thought that meant David not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I'll give you the sacred blessing I promised to David. Another Psalm explains it more fully. He said, you will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David, he said. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and he was buried with his ancestors and his body is decaying. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, listen, listen, daughters, ladies, gentlemen, listen. Just like Paul said, listen, please. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is the forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. He literally, this is a sermon And you're like, he didn't tell me how to do this, this, and this. He didn't give me a good fact for tomorrow. He just told me about the guy, Jesus, and my sins could be forgiven. I think this is the whole point of the whole thing. This thing is not about morality and ethics. However, morality and ethics ethics follow the receiving of the true son of God. But the message empowers you to be transformed. This is not a self-help message. This is a transformation message. This is a rebirth message from death to life. And when you step into life, your your mind, your life gets transformed. But until we receive this message from Paul, we will never fully live the transformed life in power. He continues on and he says, guys, I want you to be careful now. As you've heard what I've just said, don't let the writing of the prophet be true about you. When he says in verse 40, Be careful, don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For the prophet said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. 
He was the guy there to tell him, tell everyone, this is what it's really about. And we oftentimes would rather make it about something we admire where we're the center of this story and we read the Psalms and we put ourselves as the Savior or whatever we self-perfect. The whole thing is about Jesus who did all of the work, who walked in with a robe filled with blood. He said, there was nobody else to do this but me. I did it myself. That's the message we're here proclaiming and praising about. You will never enter into praise until this message becomes the center of our heart and our mind. If you're after self-perfection, you'll get to a place where you get to where you're happy and excited and you'll go, I'm doing a lot better. Has anybody ever said that to themselves? And you find yourself falling literally the next day? And we all kind of laugh because we're like, yeah, actually that's, yeah. The moment I feel like I'm doing fine the next day, it's like my whole world just fell apart. How? Because it wasn't centered around what it's truly centered about. And the world falls apart at that point. But here's what I want to leave us with. And Miss Kelly, at any point, you come on, girl. All right, I'm going to give you a thumbs up right in just a moment. This is his final word to this church. Listen to the end of his message. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue. So that's his whole message, everybody. Hey, have a good day. Jesus is the answer. Let's praise him. Receive it. As they're leaving. Imagine coming to church like that. Would y'all be back next Sunday? I pray so. I pray so because it's the message that will really save souls. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. And here's, here's what I want to land on. And the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Continuing in grace is as important as beginning in grace. Continuing in grace is just as important as beginning in grace. If, if you see your life as a continuation of God's grace, you'll never get to the place where you go, I'm doing better because God's grace perfects me. And if I'm doing better than he produced it in my life, thank God, God is amazing. He's doing amazing work in my life and my life's changing, but like literally I don't know really how, I'm just really thankful now. He has saved my soul and I'm not saving myself. He saved me. It's all about Jesus. And in fact, I was buried with Christ and I no longer live as Christ who lives in me. The Bible starts to make sense when Jesus is the center of it. When I'm at the center of this book, the books no longer make sense. You'll find yourself walking in a darkness and it gets confusing. Jesus is at the center. Ms. Kelly, you want to bring us into what that means for us? Or do you want me to keep going? Or you want me to, you want to find a spot? Are you good? All right. Okay. Um, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come because I just stand before you so humbly right now. Um, so humbly. Like, I don't even want to wear shoes. And I'm not sad for crying because I feel like this is holy ground. And, um... Something was going on on Thursday night, and I went to sleep, and I just, 
all night. I felt like my spirit was contending for something very weighty. And it almost felt like, like I remember waking up at one point and just not knowing what was going on. And just felt like if I could, I would just scream as loud as I could to break it off, whatever it was. And so um, I got up in the morning, and I was just kind of spending some time doing my get-tos and processing, and I was listening and praying, and I was just really wrestling, and I was like, this is a spirit of rejection. This This is what this is. This is a spirit of rejection. And I've been on a healing journey of a spirit of rejection for a long time. I'm wearing my birth year. I'm representing. I'm old, guys. I've been on this journey, and I'm making progress, and God is healing me, but it is a process. Um, It can be a one-moment thing, but the Lord allows you to contend for what he's given you, for the victory that he's given you. And so I was like, wow, I started, um, my first thought was to start to feel really broken, like, wow, God, I thought we did business here. I thought we were making progress. And he's like, the reason you feel this way is because it is not for you. This time, it is not for you. This is not about you. And I just remember feeling like, okay, well, what, is, what do I do with that? And sometimes we don't realize that God entrusts us with something, and we take it on, and we feel like it's about us. We feel like, oh, this is my old sin. This is my old habit. And he's like, this isn't about you. This is about what I'm entrusting to you to give away as a son, to continue what I've entrusted to you. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I, I'm going to message Jay. I don't know. <laughs> what do you want me to do with this? And so I was like, in some ways it was a pinch of a cop out because I was like, I just have to obey. I just have to obey with this word. And maybe it's like a later word. Maybe it was a good word. Maybe it's a word for me to process with Jay. I don't know what to do with it. So I just said, hey, this is where I'm at. You have total freedom. I don't know what to do. I don't know what God is saying. All I'm saying is this, this is what I feel like he's speaking. And I'm, I'm confident, I'm 100% sure that this is a now word for this night, for this moment, and it's a word for everybody in this room. So what Jay was saying, like, it's for me. It's for you. And it's not about calling anybody out. Um, I, I just want to share just a second of my testimony my roots went way back that I didn't even know. Like sometimes it's something you don't even know in your story. My parents got divorced when I was really young. God has redeemed all that. I'm not bitter. I love my parents, but I had to walk through a lot of garbage. And my spirit of rejection came when I didn't see my dad. My dad wasn't there anymore. And so he would come and I would pull away because I was like, you've rejected me. So my whole life I had this like kind of mentality of like, if you're feeding into that scar tissue, no matter if it's a scratch, it's bad. It was revealing what was deep, 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 deep down in there. It was an orphan area. And I think we have orphan areas in our lives. And we might not even know it. It's like, what, what is this trigger in me? What is this bringing out in me? And I think that we need to process. I just want to read this verse. It's the main thing that I want to... I, what I shared with Jay was like, we are carrying this orphan spirit. I'm carrying this in me, this orphan spirit. And God says... I've given you a spirit of adoption. That's what Romans 8.15 says. He says, I've given you a spirit of adoption, Kelly. I call you my girl. You get to call me daddy. And so I'm processing this because I want to also share, like, I am a very broken parent. But I love my kids so much. 
I came from brokenness. I'm being healed and restored, and I love my children. And it's a broken form, and it is so humbling. And the wildness of God, like it's pretty funny, like some women have really beautiful rings and they're flashy and they have all these anniversary bands. The middle band for me says smalls because that's what I've called my children my whole life. They're my smalls. Like I adore them and I am broken. My love for them is broken, but God's love for us is not broken. And the wildness of God that I have not even gotten to share was so that morning I'm contending. I go to work. A lady I work with who I adore is really struggling. I'm speaking life into what feels like a brick wall. I get home, I'm exhausted, just mentally fatigued. I get home, it's super late. All I wanna do is like, literally, if I'm being honest, is like veg with my husband for a couple of hours before we go to sleep. I get a message from a dear friend from Costa Rica and she's like, hey, I have something very serious for you. This is super serious. So she says, there is a woman who's 26 weeks pregnant and She's about to abort her baby if we don't find a home. Basically, will you take the baby? And I was like, wow. <laughs> I am absolutely would never say no to that, ever. On paper, it makes zero sense for a million reasons, but isn't that how God operates? So we're like, Adam and I's first response was like, if we couldn't, we would find a home, but we would do it. Do not let this woman execute anything. And we're still living in limbo, but it just felt super humbling to be like, I feel very broken as a woman. I'm brokening my parenting skills. I'm contending for this word of a spirit of adoption. And that night, God is like, hey, how do you feel about this? And I'm like freaked out. You know, I feel freaked. Um, but also just this beautiful invitation that is for all of us for all of us tonight to continue in our spirit of adoption. Like, if we could just take a moment, and I just felt like, just, just one moment, if that's okay, if, if Adam and um, if you would come up to Ryan um, and Jay, if you'll just be here just for a moment, and Stu, if, is Stu in the room? He's not in the room? Okay, well... That's okay. If you'll just come up for just one minute, I just felt like this is so important. And I really, I know this takes a lot of trust on Jay's part for me because, you know, we're still kind of growing in family, but I just felt like this was really, really important to break off the spirit of rejection. Like it's major. Like, and I felt like God was like, just don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a rush tonight. This, can you just give me this one night where you're not in a rush? Because this, this picture of where he's like, I want you to receive the daddy in me. And that's something that's so near and dear to my heart. And there's been areas for you, maybe somebody out here is like, I haven't had a dad. I haven't had a mom. I haven't had a good marriage. I haven't had a good relationship. I haven't had a good friend. Anything that personifies anything that should be love is broken and damaged and tarnished. And he's like, it can change. But I do think it's what you said. It's receiving and continuing. Like I get to make the choice tomorrow to step in. Am I stepping back into spirit of rejection or am I stepping in to a spirit of adoption where he's like, you're my small. That's it. I'm your daddy. It doesn't mean it's not messy. It just means you're mine. So, hey, Stu, come up here, buddy. Nothing like being put on the spot. <laughs> Sorry, bud. <laughs> With your, what do you got, snack? We're gonna have communion.
he brought the bread. <laughs> but I just, I, I'm going to have Stu just sing something out over you guys. You didn't know that, but I, God did, so it's good. And I just want you to sing Breaking Off Rejection for a Spirit of Adoption. That's it. And whatever else the Holy Spirit tells you. And then if you need that, then you can come forward. You can stand. You can do what feels comfortable. You can cry in your seat. You can do dialogue with the Lord. Whatever feels like you, you get to be his small. But it's breaking off now. Like we're breaking it off. So this isn't a routine. This isn't something that we've orchestrated. It's messy. It's real. It's raw. But it's it's right. So. share one quick thought just a truth that hopefully you know and if you don't know we're thrilled you're hearing it for the first time and the truth is this that if you're in Christ you're not defined by your failures you're not defined by your sins your mistakes you're not defined by any rejection you've received did you hear that so anything that makes you want to like rehearse those things any voice that repeats them in your head it's not the Lord's voice you're not defined mistakes, maybe by intentional things you've done or rejections you've received, you're defined by this overwhelming, illogical love that's lavished upon you through Jesus. And if you don't know that love, we want to tell you that this invitation to be adopted into his family is a free gift and you're invited into it. If you do know it, make sure you remember that truth. You're defined by his love for you. We're not even defined by our successes, which is good news because they just pale in comparison to the depths of his love. You're defined by his love for you. Don't rehearse those rejections. Don't rehearse the failures, the hurts. Rehearse the love because the enemy is going to want to pick at you and remind you of things that have happened and let the, the truth of God's word, that this free gift is what defines who you are and your value and you're far more valuable than you could imagine. Six says, but now that he lives, being Jesus, he lives for the glory of God. So here's our invitation. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. Like he can't even touch me. I'm like dead to it. <laughs> can't do much to something that's dead. Right? This is already gone. Do you consider yourself gone to the power of sin? That's what he tells us in Romans 6. I'm gone to that power.
but you should consider yourselves alive to God through Christ Jesus. Are you alive today? Like, do you consider yourself alive? If you don't consider yourself, I'm alive, like I'm alive and I know it, then we've got to be do business with exactly what Adam said. You got to do business. There's something in our life where we've drawn this idea that I am not alive. In fact, I'm half dead or I've been rejected or something happened and it's really defining. It's trumped maybe like what Jesus, it like really trumps it. And honestly, it's defining me right now. And it's causing this feeling of rejection. And I just want you to know, we're invited to consider ourselves alive. But can I tell you something in the story where it might be a journey? And I want to tell you, can I tell you it's okay to journey? Can I just tell you it's okay to journey? Because remember what I said, uh, what the scripture says in Acts 13, where John Mark left, he rejected Paul, right? He rejected him. I'm out. We don't know why. He says, you're out. Go down a few chapters later, and Barnabas wants to call John Mark to come back with him on another journey. And guess who returns the rejection? Paul. Oh, that guy rejected me. I ain't going to take him bringing him. No. Not a chance. You can't go. So what happens? Rejection meets rejection, and then the party splits up. Two friends go that way. Two brand new friends go that way. You ever found yourself divided because of rejection, anybody? In fact, many of us probably feel rejected because we were hurt at a job. We were rejected by a friend, a deep, close family member. I mean, I'm with you. I'm in the same journey with you. I've got a bunch of those. I've never seen this before. At the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, he's in jail. He knows he's about to die. He writes to young Timothy and he says, I want a couple things. I'm called to bring me a jacket. Bring me some parchment I want to write. And oh, would you bring John Mark back? He helps me in ministry. He's good to me. He had wanted nothing to do with the man that rejected him. But a lifelong journey where this man is on his death, but he goes, hey, that guy that I never really heard about, would you bring him down here? Because he was actually really good to me. That's a journey. So I don't, I want no shame in the journey either. We consider ourselves dead to the power of sin. I'm dead to that power. In fact, he's good enough to withhold me right here where I am. Lord, take me. Order my steps. I trust you. I don't even know how it works out, but like, I got to trust you because I don't have the power to do it. And I want to let go, but I don't know how to let go. I encourage you from my own experience, I was dealing with deep rejection and I sat with prayer warriors, people who prayed with me. And I told them the whole story, what I've never told anybody. And when I told them the story, they said, I think we're going to, have a prayer of forgiveness. I said, I could think of a thousand people to forgive. Thousands. You know how many people have hurt me? They say a normal person like loses like 30 friends their whole life. And they say a pastor will lose 30 a month. People that are close to them. Read that stat. Don't know if it's true. It feels very true. <laughs> the deep wounds that we feel are often. And I sat with these guys and I was like, man, I could forgive a million people. 
And the guy looked at me and he said, well, just ask the Holy Spirit right now, Lord, who do I need to forgive? And I'm telling you, I thought of one name in that moment. And when I thought of the one name, they led me through this prayer of just confession. And I believe confession uh, and then the prayers of God's people actually really bring soul healing, okay? So if there's something like deep that you're like, man, this is deep, there's some element of confession to others, one another, and then the prayers over that place that actually bring healing, that's what's in the word. And so I believe this is where I experienced healing because I don't like to confess. I like to preach about confession. I don't like to talk about it. Just don't. A lot easier to talk about than I want to step in and be vulnerable. I don't want to do it. But in this moment, I did. And I literally remember, I got to the place where it says, I choose to forgive so-and-so for doing blank because it made me feel blank. And I said, I choose to forgive. And like something in my gut was like, stop. Like, I started like shaking. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't let go. Like this like become a safe spot for me because they deserve my anger. Like they deserve what they did to me. They deserve my hatred. I get to keep it. It was like a war. And like they prayed for me and they prayed for me. They interceded until there's something that broke. And I'm telling you, like what happened when I began to confess, I felt something rise out of my guts. Like the stuff that I held, not in my mind, but in my stomach, it like rose up and I was like, <sighs> and I just began to weep. And whatever I released out, I was set absolutely free. And I don't know what happened, but I used to not be able to drive past this person's house without feeling a certain kind of way. I wanted to go the other way. It was that deep. Like I get physically ill when I drove past the neighborhood because of what I felt against this person. I had been rejected by somebody who promised to be a family member to me, gutted me, looked me in the eyes and it felt like, you ever had that happen? Betrayal. That was so valid in my anger, right? No, I really wasn't. I'm going to be honest, I wasn't. Because the king of the universe was left alone. I left him alone. And yet he trampled my enemies against me, took all of the wrath that I deserved, and freely bestowed upon me adoption. Freely forgave me. 100% said, I receive you. Junk and all, bud. I died for you. And if you could do anything to earn the favor of God in your own right, then listen, Jesus never had to die. If you could keep it, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Jesus did all of the work for you to be 100% adopted into the family of God. It's all his work. I just pray today that you receive that work for you today, fresh and new. Son, you are mine. I have paid the price for you. And I love you so. I'm proud of you. Daughter, I've paid the price. Pay no more. Try no harder. I have paid it for you. My arms are stretched wide for you. Receive no word from others because it will fall short what I've offered to you. I love you so much. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. That spirit of adoption 
now compels us with like peace and joy and love to go walk the streets at rest. And as we pass by those who have been orphaned, we invite them to come experience our Father who's welcomed us with open arms. Adoption spirit all of a sudden becomes our, idea, our like motive. It's who we are. Would you join me in praying just for that to come upon us as a church? We would just have the spirit of adoption. Do you want that today? I really want that, just fresh and new. With me as a church, would you just maybe open, our, open your hands to them today? Just as a church, this is what we're gonna do. Father, sometimes it's hard to believe that you've adopted us, like that you just care because it's so different than what I naturally wanna do. Who are you that you're mindful of us? But Father, today by faith, we receive what you've offered. The spirit of adoption that you've breathed upon us this breath of life, we take in. And any other breath that we've received, that's taken root, we breathe out and we let go to you. We're not big enough to carry it or fix it, but Lord, we're wholly dependent upon you to do what you and only you do. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you breathe life upon our dry bones? that we would be a people marked with the spirit of adoption. And we let go of any other thing that pales in comparison to what you've done. We truly exchange ashes for beauty. And we thank you for how you've loved us so. I pray for just an outpouring in this room and far beyond. Pray this in Jesus' name.